In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the third Sunday in Advent. The third Sunday is a time where we come up for air, if you will, from the uh, themes of judgment and the second coming of Christ, and we focus on rejoicing and the joy of the Lord. We do that liturgically with the pink candle and the pink vestments uh, that symbolize that rose color of a joy and rejoicing. It's sometimes called Gaudete Sunday, which is Latin for uh, rejoice. Uh, as we rejoice in the Lord. This idea of joy is a very important one in Christian theology. Uh, Joy is this grace that's given to us by God. It's this uh, mystical experience of God within our hearts and our minds. And rejoicing is to express that joy. And they always go together. We can't have the joy of the Lord in our hearts truly without expressing it. It has to be proclaimed. It has to be proclaimed in greeting. And so this uh, same rejoicing that we read about today is the way that Archangel Gabriel appears to Mary to say that you will have a son and call him Jesus. The Archangel says rejoice uh, to Mary, express that joy that's within your heart. Of course, all this starts with the Lord. He's the first one to have joy. He's the first one to rejoice. And amazingly, he says that he rejoices in us, that he has joy in us, as simple and as broken as we are. And he says that he has joy in Jerusalem. And at first blush, we might think, how could he have joy in Jerusalem for all the, the trauma and for all the warfare and for all the strife of that city? And is he having joy in its city planning and in its uh, way that it's constructed? No, the Lord is having rejoicing he's having joy in his experience of uh, dwelling with his people the lord says here in the prophet isaiah that he's created jerusalem he continues to create a place for him to dwell with his people we see this all the way in the garden of eden the lord builds the garden of eden he builds creation he puts man and woman into the garden why so that he can dwell with them so that he can walk in the garden with him his desire is to be with his people we see it again uh, when he even has the flood he builds the ark so that he's got a place uh, for him to dwell with noah and his family and with the animals right he's the one that closes the door and uh, dwells with them in the ark he dwells with abraham right he goes to meet him at the oaks of mamre and he sits and he eats with them he too dwells with isaac and jacob and then with the tribes of jacob even as they go down into egypt and he, when he brings them back out uh, being led by moses he instructs moses on how that it is that the Lord is going to dwell with his people. He instructs them to build the tabernacle. And you'll remember that he gives all these specifics for how it is that the tabernacle is going to be built, right? It's going to be this uh, dwelling place for God and his people. And the tabernacle is this tent that's taken all over the wilderness and it's finally taken into the Holy Land. And then it's made into a permanent place under King Solomon. Instead of this tent, it's become the temple, this stone place in the center of Jerusalem. So in the Lord is saying, I create Jerusalem as a place for me to have joy with my people. He's talking about his plan and his purpose to dwell with them in the temple and to meet them there. And the the worship that happens in the temple 
is all a kind of a, a play acting, if you will. It's a way for the Lord uh, to meet with his people who are simple children. We give children uh, places for them to, to play, right? We give them clothes to wear, uh, to pretend that they're firemen and policemen. They dress up as moms and dads, and they have their toy houses, and they have their toy kitchens, and they pretend to be adults. That's how we teach them, is through pretend. And this is what the Lord's doing in the temple. He's teaching them how it is that they're going to worship him with the sacrifices of animals. The Lord didn't need a sacrifice in animals. He was teaching his people the way a father teaches his children how to play in worshiping him, how to offer all the things that they have back to him. He's teaching them in sacrifice how to give uh, those things back. And so when the people are participating and they're coming and they're worshiping him in the temple and they're participating in these sacrifices and they're meeting God in this kind of worship play, he's saying, I rejoice in them. I have joy uh, to be with them. And the Lord is, is, is showing us that he's always there and that he's always uh, there before we are by saying um, that even before we call him, he answers. He says, while they are yet speaking, I will hear. He's saying, I don't need your prayers. I don't need your songs. I don't need uh, your instruments of worship or your uh, going out and coming in because I already know what you need. I already know what your heart wants. And he's teaching us how to speak. He's teaching us how to ask in the right way, just the way that we do a child when we say, uh, come and I'm going to teach you how it is to ask for these good things that I'm going to give you. He teaches us how to do these things. Indeed, uh, it is uh, in this kind of uh, worship in the temple of Jerusalem that we see uh, John the Baptist come uh, in this transformation, this new way that the Lord is going to meet his people. He's calling us into a maturity and that transition from the temple worship into this new mature way of worship where the Holy Spirit dwells with us is no better illustrated than in the relationship between John the Baptist and uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, these two cousins. You remember that John's father Zechariah was a priest in the temple. He wore the robes, he wore the garments, he did all of the, the special things of liturgy, and he goes into the Holy of Holies. John instead, though, uh, takes off all those robes and trappings of the temple. He takes off all those things of the city, and he meets the people of God face to face in the wilderness uh, naked right? They're in the waters of baptism with nothing between them and God. He's saying, I'm going to wash away all this stuff. There's not going to be any more trappings, any more ceremony. I'm bringing you face to face uh, with your need to repent and to have your heart changed. We're not playing pretend anymore. This is the real deal. You're going to say that you need God, that you're nothing without him. You're going to repent of your sins and you're going to be washed. And then you're going to meet God face to face. And this is where Jesus is introduced, right? When they're willing to admit we have nothing uh, without the Lord, then the Lord appears to them. Jesus appears to them. And we see this handoff of transition. Right where the, the two disciples, those of John and those of Jesus, are both washing. And the question of purification. How will we come into this worship of the temple? And the, the true answer is that we are purified in repentance. We're purified in our hearts being transformed. And this desire that we have for the beauty and the majesty of the righteousness of God. And then he's ready to meet us face to face when our hearts are broken. And we admit that we need God, that we can't do it without him. 
And this is the place where John says, um, I go away, I am lowered, and Christ is raised up. Uh, because he is the answer. He is the, the bridegroom. He is the groom for the church, right? And we see this transition as Jesus talks about himself as the temple. He talks about his body as the temple. He's building a new temple. But this one isn't with rocks. This is with living stones. Each one of us is becoming the temple of God. We are becoming those living stones. The Holy Spirit is put into us as these living stones. And the Lord is building a new temple with us. He's shaping us to become this new worship place with God. And St. Paul is telling us how this is going to happen. He says, now that you've been given the Holy Spirit, now that you've been given this grace and this joy, the Lord is going to organize you and he's going to build you into this body, into this living temple. And he tells us that we're supposed to do a few things. So now we can see that once the Lord has met us naked in baptism and he's clothing us, he's teaching us again how to worship him. But we're not sacrificing animals because Christ has been sacrificed once and for all. We're not doing all those purifying rituals where the priest alone goes into the temple. We're a priesthood of all believers. We're all coming in. But there are still liturgies that are needed because we're still children. We still need the liturgy of the church because we all come in as children or we have children here in our midst that we have to raise up. So we're still doing that, that play acting, if you will, in liturgy. But it's a, it's a, it's a real spiritual uh, liturgy where we follow the, the ways of the Lord and his church. And we hear the, the words of liturgy over and over again in the scripture. St. Paul points out a couple of things that the people are supposed to be doing when they're gathering. And you'll see that in verse 25 of his uh, first letter to the Thessalonians here on page three, uh, he names a couple of the parts of the liturgy. So let's see if our liturgy is keeping up with the words of St. Paul that we're doing what we're supposed to do. First of all, he says, brothers, pray for us. That's for the apostles and the bishops after them, right? Do we pray for our bishop? Do we pray for the apostles, for those that are spreading the, the gospel? Yes, we do. Do we greet each other with a holy kiss? We do that. We do that. We shake hands, right? In many cultures, a greeting is done with a kiss, right? You kiss each other on each cheek. In our culture, we shake hands to greet, right? So if any of you want to come to me and say, Father Howard, Scripture says we're supposed to be doing the kiss, you would have a good argument there. Uh, but we follow our cultural practice of handshaking. It's not the kiss or the handshake that's important here, right? It's that passing of the peace, Sometimes we think of the passing of the peace as just being this little extra thing we do kind of in the middle of the liturgy. It's an essential part of our repentance. It's an essential part of our participating and washing ourselves. We confess our sins and then we go to one another and we say, we're good, right? You and I are good, right? We're at peace with one another. So it's essential that we come together in peace with one another. So we have to greet each other with that kiss. We're put under oath to read the scriptures. He says, I put you under oath to read these letters. Are we fulfilling that oath in reading Holy Scripture? Do we do that? We read like 40 some verses a Sunday. Right? We read a lot of scripture. Do we receive the grace of God? The Lord participates and he gives us grace in his body and blood. Indeed, the prophet Isaiah says he places a tree 
and the center of Jerusalem, you remember the tree of life that's in the Garden of Eden. That tree of life is again in our midst, and it's the cross. And the fruit that is born of that tree is the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we're receiving every week that grace that he provides for us. And lastly, he says that we're supposed to rejoice always. Isn't that nice and easy? Rejoice always. Pray all the time. You all know what I'm going to say about that, don't you? You can't do it. You can't do it. Are you going to rejoice in bad traffic? Are you going to rejoice when you lose your job? Are you going to rejoice when your tax bill comes? Are you going to rejoice when your kids and your spouse gets on your last nerve? Are you going to rejoice when the government does something crazy? Do you rejoice and pray always? You can't do it. But the Holy Spirit that was placed in you at baptism is rejoicing all the time. Because joy is a real thing in God. And His joy is a fountain, an ever-flowing fountain that's pouring forth in our hearts all the time. And all that we have to do is stop and focus and acknowledge that joy within our hearts and express it in rejoicing. All we've got to do is stop and recognize the grace and joy that's already been placed into our hearts and acknowledge it before God and one another. God is good. His joy is everlasting. His peace is ever sustaining. He is always with us. He rejoices in us. He finds us good. And He is faithful this day and forevermore. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Rejoice.